We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6 today, if you want to turn in your Bible. I got excited because we made it, we've spent two months and we made it through the first chapter, so that's good, thank you. Uh, so we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, continuing the Sermon on the Mount. I want to make one quick announcement about uh, next Sunday. If you haven't heard or uh, maybe maybe uh, you, you, you just haven't seen the announcement yet, but next Sunday is Crossover Sunday. We're going to go do some things that are different in our worship next Sunday than what we do on a normal basis. On a normal basis, we gather, we sing songs, we open God's word and we learn and we try to apply these things to our life and then we go out and live it as part of our homework assignment each week. But next week, Sunday, our entire worship service is going to be the homework assignment. Our entire worship service is going to be serving in the community in different ways. And so we have, right now, there may be some more by the time next Sunday gets here. Uh, and, and you may be asking, like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, when do I get here? What do I do? Just show up at your normal time, 940. Maybe, you know, you, you look great today, uh, but you may want to wear some extra work clothes or just be prepared to change if you want to do something that's going to get a little dirtier. But uh, I know that one group is wanting to deliver some meals to some CPS homes. Um, you may not know this, but our community is kind of in a crisis in that there are more foster kids in Texas than there are foster homes to place them in. And so there are some kids that are just, they're, they're, they're staying in CPS offices and things like that. And, you know, they're, they're making the best of it. But we have a group that's going to make some meals and deliver that. So maybe you can be a part of that to deliver meals, maybe pray with the, the staff and the, the parents that are a part of that. I know one group is going to be doing a car wash for free to different people in the community, and we'll have the address for that, but just come dressed to do uh, some car wash stuff. Um, we got another group that's going to be going to bless some teachers and uh, help with, um, uh, what's that room called? The magic room where you couldn't go when you were a student? Um, teacher's lounge. Yeah, teacher's lounge and uh, making sure that those are stocked, making sure that teachers know that they're, they're, they're loved. Uh, if it weren't for teachers, we would have never made it through the pandemic because our kids need to grow their brain and, and they've really uh, done a lot. And I'm, I'm married to a teacher, so I'm kind of fond of teachers in general. Uh, and then the last one is uh, a, a big group of us are going to go to Groves Middle School because there's a lot of work that we can do to help. There are things that they have on their to-do list that it just takes more people to do. Things like weeding the flower bed, things like uh, cleaning the carpet in some of the carpeted rooms, you think, well, it's just running a carpet. No, there's furniture that has to be moved out, and there's a very small staff that is responsible for that. So we're going to be able to bless a local school um, next week. Our worship, guys, is to get into the community and to show the community that the kingdom has influenced us to serve and to be a part. And that's, that's what we're going to do. So just come next week prepared for that. I ask you to be praying for that this week, that, um, you know, in all of the, the, the tasks um, that there will be those unplanned moments of a conversation, that unplanned moment of our eyes being open to a need that we weren't otherwise aware of, those unplanned moments of a conversation happening in the hallways you pass someone that is life-giving and, and redeeming. Let's look at Matthew 6 together. I'm going I'm to turn there. I should have already been there, but you know, sometimes I get on stage and I'm not prepared, so I'm going to stall with uh, idle banter. There it is, uh, Matthew 6. What we've done uh, for the last few weeks, if you haven't been here, We've been looking at only three chapters in the book of Matthew, and it's these three chapters that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Why this is important, and what I'm gleaning from it quite a bit, is that this is the first moment in the Gospel of Matthew where the rightful king, Jesus, uh, he's already established that Jesus is the expected and rightful king that God's been promising since Adam and Eve, um, has shown up. And the king, Jesus, is explaining in what we call the Sermon on the Mount what his kingdom should be like, and what we should be like as citizens of his kingdom. Things that are different than 
the rest of the world, things that are upside down from the rest of the world. Out there, um, the only way to survive is to be the strongest and to get them before they get you. But in the kingdom, there's meekness. In the kingdom, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the kingdom, blessed are the merciful because they shall receive mercy. And so Jesus like unveils this new way of thinking and he invites the people that are standing there, people like you and I who are just like, I just want to know what God is like. And I just, I want my life to count. I want, I want to, I want my place here to be meaningful. Um, that's, that's the people that were in the crowd for Jesus. And that's who I assume you are as well. Um, Jesus says, well, this is the way. This is the way. He says, if you follow the way, if you follow this this kingdom principle, if you become citizens of the kingdom, then you become the light of the world. You become salt of the world. Um, And so then this question would have arisen in their minds, and if you and I grew up with a Jewish background, it would have arisen in our minds. Okay, you raise your hand and you say, hey, Jesus, uh, I have a question. Is this a new religion? Are we doing away with Judaism and the law, uh, and we're just like running after something else? And Jesus' response to the unasked question is, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And so Jesus shows up as the king and he says, I know the law better than you and I'm going to fulfill it. And then, and then he points to us, and this is what we did last week and the week before, and he says, Let, let's look at how good we are at following the law. Because at this moment, Everybody has like this hierarchy in their head. You, you and I, we walk around with this hierarchy in our head that some people are more spiritual than us. And I'm, I'm definitely better than that guy. But that guy over there is like, golly, super Christian. Like, how do you, how do you even measure the righteousness of that guy? And Jesus's response is, uh, God's law was meant to tweak our heart and to point to us that our hearts are actually turning away from him. Not so much the actions. Um, and so that's where you get the phrases where Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not murder. And everybody's like, yeah, please continue to not murder people. Uh, that's a good idea. And Jesus' response is, yeah, but the heart of the matter is um, God really wants you to look at how angry you are with your brother, that your anger drives you into a rage and, and we, hold, we hold grudges against people. And when, when, when we look at our anger, when we look at our heart, our heart tells us, I'm not, I'm not measuring up. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery and every married couple in here is like, you better not because I will break you at the knees. And Jesus says, that's great. But the heart of the matter is that the father is seeking those who, who don't even lust, that their heart is totally pure. And so every time our heart does something, every time we do something that our heart says um, that, that it doesn't measure up to God's way, then, then we're reminded at each moment, oh, the boat I'm in isn't really floating. It's, it's actually sinking. I need, I need Jesus. Everything that our heart tells us when we look at it honestly isn't to beat us down. It's to say, I need Jesus. And we turn to the king and we look at him. So here's why I'm excited today, uh, because we're now in chapter six and now the rubber starts to meet the road. And Jesus is going to get super practical on what kingdom citizens should think like and should do actively. Um, Before uh, the last two weeks, um, he talked about this difference between the things you do and the heart of it. And we, we want to believe, well, because I didn't murder and because I didn't commit adultery, because I followed whatever the letter of the law was outside, but inside I was really angry and frustrated about it, that that's okay. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's about the heart. And now he flips it around because what he wants to look at is the things that we do to show off how awesome we are. Anybody like to, like to flaunt, like to show off? Anybody? 
When, when I was in uh, uh, middle school, probably like fifth or sixth grade, Tommy Hilfiger was like the brand. I, I don't know why. Uh, I look at it now, and it's really kind of ridiculous. It has like a near flag. It's almost, like, it's almost like the Texas flag minus the star, and it's on everything. And, and so you would, you, would, you would have Tommy Hilfiger everything. And one day, I'm sitting in church, uh, where you're sitting, presumably, um, and I'm bored to tears, which some of you may be right now, and I, that's okay. I've been there. I know what that's like. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm about 11 or 12 years old, and I look down, and I have, a, I have a Tommy Hilfiger shirt on, which is pretty sweet. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And, and then I, oh, look at that. And I have like the little, like you, you guys remember when carpentry pants were big, and so you have like the little belt loop? Well, they put the flag, the Tommy Hilfiger flag on the belt loop, and so I had Tommy Hilfiger pants on. I was like, I have a Tommy Hilfiger shirt and the Tommy Hilfiger, I got a Tommy Hilfiger wallet. I've got Tommy Hilfiger socks on. I've got Tommy Hilfiger underwear on. This is amazing. And so in the middle of church, it just popped in my head. I nudged my grandma. I'm like, hey, I've got Tommy Hilfiger everything. She goes, nobody cares. Pay attention, kid. <laughs> the preacher's going to town up there. Someone was praying, and I'm excited because look at how awesome I am. I am flaunting everything I've got. I've got Tommy Hilfiger. And my grandma's like, I, I bought you all that. Why do, why do you think that's a big deal about you? This is what I've provided for you. In the same way, Jesus is going to start in chapter 6, and really the rest of the chapter, he, he warns us about doing things that are outwardly focused to show off how awesome we are before God instead of focusing on the secret things that nobody's ever going to know except you and the God who sees in secret. And so if you would, uh, follow along with me in chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse (coughs) 1. Excuse me. Verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That one verse is going to set up the next two weeks of, or well, next week is crossover, but the next two times we open up the, this, that uh, we need to be very careful about practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. When, when we do Christian-y things in such a public way so that they see us, uh, there's, there's a warning here because it says that you're not going to receive your reward from the Father for doing those religious things. In fact, what you're going to get instead is the reward that you were actually seeking. What I was actually seeking in that moment of wearing Tommy Hilfiger's, everybody's just like, woohoo, you're wearing Tommy Hilfiger. Who cares? Nobody cares. And nobody cares when we, we loudly pray. And nobody cares when we flaunt our giving. Like, I give to this church more than I, I deserve a wing. I need the, the lofted wing of children's ministry. No, nobody cares. Um, you would not be impressed if, if somebody else in this room donated a chunk of money but then demanded that their name be on the front of that. You would look at that and think, that's, that's odd. That seems wrong. That's not the right motivation for, for giving. Uh, you would not be impressed if I just said, everybody bow your heads, and I begin loudly praying with the most eloquent, like 10 cent words. I mean, five syllables each. I get through all of transubstantiation. I go through the entire systematic theology of words. Lord, let me pray for the angelology of us all. And you, you would just be like, no, that's nonsense. And I would be just be trying to show off that I know the big words. And God would say in response to that, well, Jesse, you get your reward. They're all super impressed with how many words you know, but... Yeah, that's not really the point of it. That's not the point of praying is to impress you. And that's not the point of giving. And that's not the point of, of, of you know, uh, fasting, which we'll look at later. And so he says, be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so there's this flip of that verse. If, if you read it, it's implied. By doing this publicly, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Oh, so... If we do these things privately, 
If we do these where nobody knows about it, and it's super secret, it's just between me and my God who sees me in my secret place, is there a reward for that? Is there a benefit to me? Is there a reward for doing it secretly? And the answer will be yes. Over and over again, we're going to see through this whole chapter, the answer is yes. When we choose to not get people's praise, and we choose instead to do in secret the things that only you and your Father in heaven who knows you sees. So let's keep going. We're going to look at money for the rest of today. Uh, Jesus has some things to say about money. And, and if you're a guest here, like if this is your first time, you just need to know, I really, I, I don't like talking about money. I find it really awkward. I get I, my palms sweat a little bit. I'm not the, I'm not the preacher who's like, and now I need you to give to my jet fund <laughs> because I'm going to learn to fly a jet. That's not me. Uh, that's not our church. You just don't see that here. But, but here's the truth. Um, Jesus, the king, uh, seems to think that money plays an important role in, in us and an important role in how things function. And it may be different than what you suspect. Um, I, it is certainly different than what I see on preacher TV where they talk about money a lot. Uh, it's very different than that. Uh, but money has an important role. Some people have said, I haven't counted it to look it up, but some people have said that Jesus actually talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell combined. That as a, as a topic, it comes up more often than, than things of e- eternity that we would consider. So let's look at what he says about money. Verse 2, he says, Thus, you know, he, he just said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and, and may be praised, in the, uh, excuse me, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So many times um, in all of this chapter, you have this check, check, check. I don't know. What happened? Uh, I'll go red. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. I'll talk loud. Check, your, check that button at the bottom. I don't know. Can I talk loud? Can you hear me? Okay. So I'll keep going. When you get a mic, let me know. Um, so many times in, in Scripture, he's going to uh, use the term uh, hypocrite as someone who does a thing in public. And he says, instead of being like the hypocrite, do this thing in secret instead, right? And so the hypocrite, uh, it just means actor. Uh, in, in, in the Greek world, it was a job. And so, uh, you, you know, Jim Carrey is an actor. The Greek word for that is hypocrite. Now, I'm not calling Jim Carrey a hypocrite. It's just what the word means, okay? And it's this idea of someone who could show up into a theatrical setting and, and you may not even know it. It would be almost like, um, like a, a crowd performance where there's an actor pretending to be something else in a public setting and you're just looking at him like, that can't be real. And it could be men dressed as women and they're like, they're playing the, this part. Or it could be someone acting out the time that they conquered another country or whatever. And the, the actor is the hypocrite. And you would never trust that once you realize that this person is not being themselves, you just know, like, I, t- I think it's hilarious. I think it's fun to watch you. It's entertaining. But I don't trust you with myself. I don't, I don't trust you with, 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 you know, protecting me just because you're pretending to be a cop on TV doesn't make you a good cop. You don't go to people who are uh, actors as doctors and say, hey, I have this pain in my side. They don't know anything. They just know the lines. They're really good at acting and pretending in public, but personally, they have no knowledge of the things that they're acting on. And Jesus says that you don't want to be like the hypocrites who give in public and they just sound the trumpet before them. Could you imagine church if it worked that way? I'm in the middle of speaking, the mics go out for some reason, and, and someone walks in and is like, hang on everybody, I have come 
with my wallet. Please watch as I deposit my funds into the box. Like nobody in here, you'd be like, get out of here. I don't want you, I don't want your money. I don't don't want any of that here because it's such a big show of, of, eh, nobody cares. And Jesus says, hey, don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites who just walk around and they make sure everybody sees the public looking thing, but inwardly there's there's no substance to it. He says, instead, give in secret. So your father who sees in secret will reward you. Interesting fact, I looked this up because the word secret pops up so much. It's the word crypto in in Greek. The word crypto in Greek just means secret. We have cryptocurrency. Anyway, I'm sure there's like somebody in here who can like think of a a clever way to make an illustration of it. I couldn't. I'm just bringing it up. It It was like in my study, it's like I need an illustration with Bitcoin. I couldn't come up with one. We'll skip uh, a little bit because he continues with the, remember uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of echoing thoughts. And so I'm skipping some stuff. I'm going to come back to prayer uh, next time, uh, but I want to skip to where the thoughts start echoing again. And so, uh, and the word for that was uh, chiasm, if you're here that week. And so there's this chiasm. I want to go to the end of it. It starts in verse 19 because he's going to start talking about money again. And, and it's, it's instead of the giving as hypocrites do and making a big scene about it, uh, you, you, you give in secret. And he says, you know, before that, he said, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That's, that's like the level of secrecy where you trick your hands into how much money you're giving. Like, hey, I've got, I've got $20 here. Hey, look over there. Why don't you type something? Take this. Take it now. You know, while the right hand's not looking. That's, that's a Jesus joke. It would have been hilarious to them. Uh, in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You know, it seems to be that the warning is that whenever we, um, when we do things in a public way, with our money or praying or other ways, that we're laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, and things just, it rots away. Moth and rust, thieves are going to come steal it, entropy sets in, people forget. You would have to keep up the act over and over and over again. You have to be the hypocrite over and over and over again just to keep the show running, um, and eventually you're going to be exhausted. So he says instead, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I'm, I'm, not, a, you know, I'm not Warren Buffett or anything, but if I have to choose between the sure bet and the, I don't know, it could go sideways bet, I think the sure bet is the way to go, Right? There, there is no degradation. There is no entropy. There's no thieves that break into heaven and steal our treasures that we lay up there. Uh, it's impossible. He's got it firmly secure. The, the, the security that he's trying to communicate to the ancient world is, is new to them. To us, we see this all the time. Uh, who here uh, puts money in the bank? Yeah, most of us, all of us. Um, we do that because somebody can break into our house or our house can burn down. And that's what, we don't want all the green paper getting wet or burning away or a thief coming in and get it. But this bank promises with, I don't know what the, what the agreement is. There's this insurance, like $100,000 or something. I've never gotten close, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I've never sweated it. But there's this amount that they just guarantee. Like if, if a nuke falls on the building that's holding my money, we'll guarantee it. It's fine. It's fine. It's safe. It's safe in the bank up to a certain point. We, we live in a world that promises that level of security, and Jesus is making a similar promise, except our world lies to us because we've had recessions and we've seen stocks go down. So it's not as safe as they want to make out, but we live in a world that we see safety. And Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself your treasures on earth where it goes down in value and you lose it and it's stolen from you. Lay up your treasures instead over here 
And in verse 21, I could do the entire sermon on this one verse. I'm not. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's where Jesus is getting away from, hey, you know, some things are different for kingdom citizens than it is for everybody else. This is a truth of all humanity. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are two things that we can pull away from that of of all of us, of all of our tendencies. Is that if we were to if we were to pull out our tax statement, if we were to pull out our bank records, if we pull out our credit card register, it will tell us what is the most important things in our life. It'll tell us where our heart is with with 100% clarity. Your heart, on the other hand, as we said last week, is lying to you like a dog, telling you that you have the best of intentions and just do this, it's going to be fine. But my treasure is going to tell me the truth where my heart is telling me a lie so recently, uh, I've needed to, uh, you know, look look at yeah, every now and then, like every two three months. Ashley and I, my wife and I, will sit down and we'll look at budgets and we're like, okay, let's talk about this. And we we did the Dave Ramsey thing for a while, and now we've gotten to where we we don't have like a budget meeting every week or every month, but like every few months, we just go and look at it. It's, I think it's wise to make sure that. And do you know, uh, I value food a lot more than I ever thought I did. My heart tells me that I don't, but my budget tells me that I do. Uh, and you're looking at me and my waistline, and you're thinking, yeah, your heart's been lying to you, buddy. <laughs> uh, somebody's like, hey, we've got friends in town, you want to go out to eat? Of course, I don't even think about it, let's go. And so I go spend more money on that than I would if I just bought groceries at the house. The, my budget, it's, it's eye-opening to see my treasure is telling me where my heart already was. Where my treasure is, my heart will be also. If I look at my budget, if you look at your budget and your funds and where they've gone for the last month, it will tell you with immediate accuracy where your heart was for that entire month. But we can flip that around also because, because before last week, uh, when the problem was the heart and we're like, we, we don't, I can't control my heart. I, I don't have that much control over my heart, Jesus. I need a heart surgeon. We reach out to Jesus as savior because he fulfilled the law. But Jesus is giving us a key to something we can do to have better heart health, like taking vitamins that your doctor has recommended. Because because if we know this to be true, where our treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I look at it, and my heart wasn't where I wanted it to be. Despite my best efforts, my heart wasn't where I wanted it to be. What I can do as a response is I can take my treasure, I can take my money, I can take my finances, and I can point it where I want my heart to go. Because where my treasure goes, my heart will follow. And I can, I can actually make my life and my desires line up by pointing my money towards it. It's a tool that turns my heart. And so Jesus continues this idea that, you know, you know so sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but wherever your treasure is, your heart is also. It says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, in the ancient world, they had this idea that the eye would just like suck up light. It wasn't a sensor so much as it is just like a capturing of light. If you're a photographer in here, this makes a lot of sense to you because you want the lens that captures the most light, right? More light, better, right? Yes? But what if you, what if you soaked up some stuff that you didn't want? What, what, if, what if your focus is on things that aren't really where you wanted your heart to be? What if they're, instead of light, what if they're darkness? Our, our budget will tell us the truth about what we've been investing in and how great will that darkness be if you've never addressed it, if you've never looked at it? And so 
he goes to this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, Jesus is warning us that, that if we're not careful, we pursue money at the expense of making it our master, and, and then we're left to just follow money despite what God, despite what the king is telling us to do. You, we, we cannot serve the pursuit of money and the pursuit of the kingdom uh, at the same level. You will either be uh, a slave and devoted to the one or a slave and devoted to the other, but you can't be the middle of the road person. And your budget will tell you the truth about that. Uh, I believed uh, I was eating healthier. My budget says I went out to eat with friends too much last month. So uh, which one of these is true? I can't be both. I can't be both healthy and eating out too much. It has to be one or the other. And money uh, or things, pursuit, uh, proves that. You know, a lot of people, uh, either, either the preacher talks too much about money, like, like uh, you, you give more money to this and therefore God will bless you. You're not going to see that taught very much in Scripture. Um, or the preacher just talks so much about money that it's like, you know, really, can we just be honest? God kind of hates money. Uh, and if you have any money in your pocket, if you have one piece of green paper in your pocket, God's probably mad at you. That's not true either. It's not in scripture. There's a healthy balance and a healthy understanding of money that all of the Bible will draw us to. And so if you would, um, I want to I want to look at it more fully, this idea of money. I want to turn out of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to go to 1 Timothy um, chapter 6. I'll give you a chance to get there. It's kind of to the right. It's before Hebrews, before James. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... And I'll say this, uh, 1 Timothy was written by a guy named Paul, and he's writing it to a pastor who's trying to figure out how to be a good pastor for a church. That's why I like reading it. Like, I, just, I, want, to be, I want to be good and useful to you, and so I, I get this. And he's going to talk about money in the church and how, how people interact with money, how people are devoted to money or not devoted to money. And there's, there's an unhealthy version, and there's a healthy version. And, and in 1 Timothy, you get both of that. It's a biblical balance and understanding of money. So I'm going to start in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. And he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for uh, we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. And so this idea of being content with what you have, content with your station in life, you're, you're going to leave here with the exact same amount of things that you came in with. And so it's just this in-between moment. And if you can be content in that, that's good. That's godly. But, he says in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, um, we'll be content. Like if, if our basic needs are made, uh, we'll be content. But those who desire, I circled the word desire because now we're talking about the heart. We're talking about the things that the heart desires. He says, if we desire to be rich, um, we fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, Jesus said just before we turn to this, you can't serve God and money. And now Paul is warning, he's like, if your heart, your desire is to accumulate as much money as possible, to pursue, pursue money at all costs and the security that money provides, um, you're going to fall into a trap, a snare. You're going to fall into temptation, a harmful desire, uh, ruin and destruction. That's, those are all terrible things, right? I think we can all think of somebody uh, that we know, or even ourselves at a more uh, immature state, where in our pursuit of money, we left a job that was the sure thing for the job that only lasted two months and then we were laid off. 
In the pursuit of money, uh, people have made terrible choices that ended in addiction and, and, and criminal activity uh, because of the money, I need, I need to feel safe. I need, I need the safety that money brings. And Paul is warning us that when our heart, our desire is just to be rich at all costs, um, we run into problems. And he says this in verse 10. You've probably heard this verse used in, in and out of context. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's the love of money. It's not, it's not money is the root of evil. It's the love of money that is a root, not the root, but a root of all kinds of evils. The things people have done to hurt another person in the pursuit of money, in the desire of getting some more. He said, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. People, people have just abandoned their entire philosophies in the pursuit of the security that, that money has. That's the warning that Paul gives for money. But there's this healthy side that Paul, just a paragraph later, is going to bring up because he's trying to give Timothy, a pastor, both sides of the, of the coin. No, no pun intended, but it, it works. It feels good. I like a good pun. Look in verse 17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, uh, people in this present age means not in heaven yet. They're alive right now and they're rich. They've got money. Uh, you, you, you've done well. You, you have a 401k in this room, maybe. Uh, you have a retirement plan. You're, you're trying to put back a little bit for your kids, college and things. You have a little bit of money. God's, God's not mad about that. Here, here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. It's <laughs> a good word. It's a good word. Don't walk around thinking you're, you're hotter than, than you ought to be. No, uh, it, it's this idea of being conceited. Don't, don't walk around conceited. Don't walk around uh, really just looking at your bank account like you've arrived. There's always somebody with a bigger bank account. Don't look at your bank account like, I can cover all my problems. I can, I can fix everything with this. He says, he says, warn them not to be that way, uh, nor to, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Instead, he would say, but on, on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here, here's what Paul wants you to know about money. Here's what Paul wanted Timothy to know about money. So when Timothy taught about money, he wanted, he wanted him to teach the people, if you have money, it's because God gave it to you. And remember that your resources of time and money, your skills to earn that time, the job, the interview that was set up, the friend that you knew, the network that brought you into that position, all of those things came because God loves you and he provides for you. We're gonna look at a passage in a couple of weeks in the, in the uh, Lord's Prayer that, that God cares for the sparrow, God cares for the lily, he cares so much more about you, of course he's gonna meet your needs. He says, don't rely so much on the uncertainty of the money, but rely instead on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The, the purpose of this is, is to enjoy it. He says in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know, in Paul's idea of money, it's, it shouldn't be uh, necessarily accumulated for the sake of being accumulated. It should be converted into doing good for other people, into sharing a meal with someone or inviting them over, or helping a needy person um, when they're in need pulling up at the red light and seeing that you can actually buy that person a meal and use your money to, to do that. He didn't say the red light part. That's, that's me implying. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. It's in the, it's in the converting the money into good works that we're storing up treasure. That's exactly what Jesus said when we don't lay up our treasures on earth. Instead, we lay up our treasures in heaven because we convert our treasures into doing good things for the people that are around us, to serving our family, to serving our neighbor. 
Uh, before this, in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 5, there's this, there's this curse almost. It's like a warning given against the man who will not provide for his family. Like He says, get out and make some money and provide for your family, because that's your job. The, the funds are meant to provide for those that you care about that are near you, your family and your neighbor. Storing up uh, for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. For Paul, uh, the idea of money, it, it becomes not a, a goal, but a tool. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to give you uh, six um, kind of biblical truths about money, and then, and then we'll get ready to land the plane together. This is all throughout scripture. The Bible talk in Proverbs, money is brought up, how we, uh, there's, there's a way to be wise with money and a way to be unwise with money. Um, there's a way to bless people with money and there's a way to flaunt your money and to make yourself hottier than you should. Not hotter, that's plastic surgery, but hottier <laughs> than you should. Um, in kingdom citizens, we're, we're, taught, we're taught like to use money in a way that is appropriate and, and is wise. So here are the, the, the six things that I think we can learn about money. One is that uh, money is, is, not, uh, is just not a great goal. It's a terrible goal, in fact. Uh, but it is a great tactic and tool to meet other goals. Um, John Wayne has this quote about like money won't make you happy, but it feels a lot better crying in a Mercedes than it does on the, on a bicycle. Uh, the idea is that money's a terrible goal, but having a little bit, uh, is it's a helpful tool to move things around, to get, get things going. Money is not a great goal, but it is a great tactic and tool. Money, um, is, is not yours to keep. Uh, it's yours to manage. All, all of our money comes from God. It's God's money. All of it. Uh, this idea of the word stewardship is often used. That's the biblical word for just managing the things that God has trusted you with. Uh, one day, kingdom citizens will stand before the Father, and we're going to be asked to give an account of not just our money, but our time and our words, uh, of our skills. God has given, given me and given you a certain personality set with certain strengths. Um, and then on top of that, as being a Christian, I'm given spiritual gifts and, and I'm going to stand before the father one day and I'm going to be given uh, an account. Like, how did I use my gifts? How did I use my resources? How did I use my money? Um, because Jesse, you were just meant to manage that for a while. Uh, it's not, it's not ours to keep. It's just ours to manage. One day, no matter how much money you've accumulated or spent, uh, it's going to be given to somebody else. Hopefully you have that written down in a will somewhere. It makes it a lot easier if you have it written down in a will somewhere or on a napkin or something. Um, what makes it really difficult is uh, when the government's like, nope, it's mine now because you didn't, you didn't write it down. But regardless, uh, one day uh, your heart and my heart will stop beating uh, and that money does not save us from that. Uh, we, we, will, we will go out of this world with the same amount of bank account that we came into this world with. Uh, it's not ours to keep. It's just ours to manage for a while. The third thing is this. Money will tell you the truth about your heart um, faster than your heart will. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will say that you have great motivations, that you have great desires. You have the best of intentions. Um, but as we said last week, every regret you have ever made in your life began with your heart saying, hey, I've got a great idea. And it lied to you. <laughs> it turned out to be a terrible idea. That's why we call it a regret, not like a, yay, I'm a genius. Uh, we, we all have regrets. Our heart lies to us. But our money, when we look at it, it'll tell us the truth about our heart. It'll tell us what our heart cares most about in this world. It'll tell us what our, what our heart is focused on. Um, is it focused on providing for a family in the future? Or is it focused on spending everything we've got right now? Our heart, uh, excuse me, our money will tell us the truth about our heart faster than our heart will. Where The fourth thing is where you point your money 
um, your heart will follow, which is great, great news. Uh, it's not just a diagnostic tool to tell me that my heart was all jacked up and I ate too much that month. It, it is a, a leveraging tool. I can point my heart in another direction by just making a choice right now. Hey, money, we're going this way now. We're going to do these things instead of these things. I'm going to focus on these needs instead of these wants. I'm going to focus on these friends, this family, this neighbor, instead of just like the next video game or whatever is going on. Uh, instead of money just, just doing whatever it wants, if I focus it, um, Jesus seems to suggest that I can turn my heart towards those things. I care far more uh, about uh, my truck that I paid money for than I do about your truck that you let me borrow to move things. I will treat it well, I will do my best, but I'm probably not going to put the supreme gas in it. You know, like it's just a, a matter of, I put money towards these things and so my heart is gonna follow it as well. Money, number five, uh, money makes a, a terrible master. And, and those, those of us who have, have been the slave of chasing that dollar, chasing that raise, chasing that promotion knows that like, it, it's fruitless, it's, it's never ending, it's a terrible master, but it makes an excellent servant. If, if we can, you know, you can use Dave Ramsey, you can use any kind of budgeting system you want, but if, if we get control of our budget and we get like, I've got X number of dollars and it's finite, it's not, it's not infinite, and I can, I can point it in different directions, are you kidding me? I can make this money do that? Are you, are you serious? Like, do you know if you just take like $100 every month and just like put it in this one thing, it will triple, double, quadruple, do like magic multiplication things? Um, that's pretty cool. I wish somebody taught me that when I was 20. Uh, it, it makes an excellent servant if you beat it into shape. Um, but if we pursue it at all costs, if we just chase the next dollar, uh, it makes a terrible master and it'll beat you into submission. It is not a good God, um, but it is a good servant. And the sixth thing is this, is that money won't protect you as much as it promises you it will. As someone who used um, insurance money to repair my house once and then decided, you know what? I'm going to store up some extra money. I'm not going through this again. My family will not go through this again. I promise you. Two years later, another hurricane hit my house. Money didn't protect me as much as it promised me it would because my house still got wet. My stuff still got wet and I still moved out again. It takes a lot. Money promises you that it'll protect you and it promises you that it'll provide for you. And you remember that one time you were in that problem that all you needed was a little bit more money and it would have solved it. But the, the problems are endless. It never ceases to be that your money will run out before your problems do. It doesn't protect you as much as it promises you it will, but your God will. Jesus is a much better Lord than money. He cares for you so much more than Abe Lincoln on that green paper does. Believe me, he'll provide for you. He can stretch money to do things in, in, in what we would call miraculous ways where you don't have enough money to pay both the electric and the water and yet God comes through. Money didn't come through, but God comes through. God is a much better God than money. Jesus, uh, he begins the practical steps of what it means to be a kingdom citizen with talking about money. He's going to talk about prayer next, and he's going to talk about fasting, but he started with money because money, it's universal to us. Our resources are universal. We've got to do something with this money, and it is such a helpful tool for a practical Christian to say, I'm going to make my heart go this way instead of this way. Couple of, couple of thoughts. Uh, kingdom citizens... Um, decide to, they, they point their heart towards the things of God in part by pointing their finances towards the movement of Jesus. 
That this, is, this is a fundamental truth, that if we're going to follow Jesus, and we say, Jesus, you are my top priority, our money will tell us the truth about that. Kingdom citizens who decide to leverage money as a tool will start pointing their money towards the things that they see Jesus moving on because that gets the ball rolling in the direction that we are saying verbally that's the most important to us. We'll do it privately. We'll do it secretly. We're not going to sound the trumpet in front of us like the hypocrites do, but we are going to point towards that. I'm going to read quickly so I don't run out of time. I feel like I do every week. Who am I kidding? Second, Second Corinthians chapter 9. It'll be up here, um, but you can, you can turn there. As well, I'm just going to read, uh, Barbara, I'm just going to read the first two verses, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and, and 7. But the whole rest of the chapter, just read it. It's so good about, about how, how God has provided for us. And we have our joy from God, not from our money. He supplies our needs, not our money. And so our money is a tool. But here, here's what it says in those two verses. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And this is true in the positive and the negative. You throw, you throw a significant amount of money towards negative things, you're going to reap a significant amount of negative things. That's, that's just true, okay? Uh, uh, but if you throw a significant amount of money towards positive things, you reap a significant amount of positive as a result of it. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This whole passage that Paul is reading, uh, he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's saying, hey guys, you, you promised that you're going to give money to this other church to help them start. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to, compose, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, force you. I'm not going to leverage you. I'm not going to trick you into it. That's not what the sermon is. If this sermon is like, oh, golly, Jesse's just trying to get our tithes more or something. That's not what this is. Uh, because, because the New Testament, um, the, the way giving works is with a cheerful heart not reluctantly, without compulsion. Uh, in the Old Testament, law was 10%, a tithe. That's probably a good place to start. Just 10% of your, your income, give that back to God since it's all his anyway. But the New Testament doesn't prescribe 10%. It doesn't prescribe anything for giving. Uh, you see people giving 10%. You also see some people selling off all their land and house and everything and just like getting a big bucket of money and fixing every problem that they can with their bucket of money. That's in Acts chapter like four-ish. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, but it doesn't tell us all to sell everything. It's just what they did because their heart told them to. How, how much does a kingdom citizen give towards the movement of Jesus? Verse 7, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. Heart, what's important to me? I'm going to say that's important to me. Okay, well, your bank account, I need you to make my heart say that's important. Like, tell my heart this is important. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because somebody tricked you, not because somebody got on TV and said, buy this holy water that Jesse drank half of and it will cure all your elements now for three easy payments of $19.99. None of that's true. That's all just made up magic stuff. Uh, this is true. Uh, when we give, kingdom citizens give out of a, a joyfulness of heart. We've decided. We, we, we sat down with ourselves and our spouse and we said, this is what's important to me. I see, I see that group of people doing something, I'm going to give towards it, and we're going to accomplish something. Uh, Paul would say in here that, that through the giving, uh, that, that he's been able to bless so many people. Let me tell you how we've blessed some people here at Carpenter's Way uh, through, through your giving. 
Um, we have a crossover fund uh, that is our ability to give into the community. We're going to use a not a significant. We're going to use a good bit of that next week when we're doing crossover events here. But but if somebody comes and knocks on this door and asks for help, I don't have to like oh you know all I can do is pray for you. You've given so that they can have needs met. I had a phone call a few months ago. This this woman, uh, she she says uh, she she gives me a story about why they needed a little bit of help, and it wasn't this ongoing story. Uh, and I'm a recovering social worker, so I've heard almost every story that's imaginable. Uh, and she tells me the story about uh, they, they there was this lapse in payment during the uh, the the what were those checks that we got during COVID. Stimulus check. So there was a lapse in payment because the stimulus check changed something in the bank account. And so uh, it wasn't that she needed help forever. It was just this one moment that the food stamps didn't come in right when they wanted. And she says that me and my partner and our daughter uh, need some help. And, and I just like one meal would, would just make all the difference. And I said, okay, I think, I think we can help you. I didn't have to ask. I didn't have to go look for the money. I, I know we can help you. She says, well, I don't know if you heard me. Uh, she, said, I, she said, me and my, my partner, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lesbian. So oh, I heard you. That's fine. I said, we can help you. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I feel like this is a real need, and we can help you. Um, I met with two women. Uh, they came in uh, later that afternoon. Uh, I sat with them. I prayed with them. I heard their story. Uh, it was a heartbreaking uh, story that I'm not going to share right now for confidentiality reasons. But your giving made it possible for me to meet the real need uh, of having this prayerful conversation and the felt need of I don't know if I can have groceries for the next two weeks. And through the money, God moved. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul's talking about right here. Money is an amazing tool. Uh, I'm out of time. Uh, two, two more things. Kingdom citizens have learned that Jesus is a much better Lord than their paycheck. Your paycheck, it just stinks as a Lord. It, it, there's never enough of it to get through the month. Uh, I saved 30 months on my water bill uh, this past month because I fixed my toilet, which has been broke for like a year and a half. I didn't know I was losing that much money, uh, but you know my paycheck would never tell me that. Uh, but we fixed the toilet and it saved 30 bucks, so you know consider that if you need some extra money. Um, <laughs> Kingdom citizens, though, have learned that that our paycheck is a terrible lord, but Jesus is a is a gracious lord. And he meets your needs. He meets you where you're at. I'll say it in a couple of weeks when we talk about prayer, but that, that flower out there didn't do anything to look beautiful, and that sparrow out there does nothing to, you know, it doesn't like store up a bunch of stuff in the bank, and yet God meets his needs, and yet Jesus says that you are so much more loved than that sparrow or that flower. I trust him over my money providing for me. I trust Jesus. The third thing is kingdom citizens know that all good things come from the Father. Uh, every, every good thing I've ever seen comes from my Father, uh, not really from my wallet, uh, while it didn't stop my house from, from flooding, um, but I was able to buy some more supplies and God provided that. Uh, I was able to have conversations with people that came to help my family and God provided those relationships and those people. You know, you know what really built my house back wasn't, wasn't money, it was God. He's a, he's, a good, he's a good Lord. I've got like three more illustrations and another story. I, I don't know, ask me later. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, I, I love you, uh, this, this is so good. And I, I would just encourage you, just consider this. Um, your money, my money, is telling you the truth about what your heart has been focused on. Look at it. If you like what you see, amen, keep up. That's what the, that's what the king would tell you to do. If you don't like what you see, uh, point your money to something that you want it to, want, want your heart to focus on, and your heart will follow as a result. Let me pray for you. Father, um, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicalness of it. It just meets us right where we're at. 
Lord, may you get all the glory. May, may all of our, our, our desire be pointed to your desire. Just be in line and in sync with that. Lord, help us to see the goodness and who you are and who you're calling us to be. May our, our money uh, uh, no longer lord over us. Uh, but Father, we, we use it as a tool to accomplish your goals instead of us being used. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.